welcome to podcast number 107 of Quality Christian Living. I am your host, David Friend. Today, we're going to get into a message that I believe will help us all understand what generosity is all about. We'll look at it from the perspective of God's generosity and also from the perspective of our attitude about generosity in our life and what's in it for me. I believe the Lord has something special for us today as we get into an area of understanding our generous God, how much He loves us, and how we should handle the generosity that we have, and how God will bless it even greater when we do. But let's pray first and ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance. Father, I thank you for this opportunity I have to bring this message at this time to those who are listening in. I pray that you would anoint it and that you would guide my comments. I've prepared an outline and done the things that I'm supposed to do. But Lord, that's all good, but it will be of no value unless the Holy Spirit moves and directs and guides my comments. And I pray that you'd open up the hearts of those who are listening in today to receive what you have for them, and specifically, Lord, what they need to understand in the realm of your generous spirit and how much you love each and every one of us and how you want to prosper each and every one of us. Thank you for it in advance and give you the praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me start off by saying that God's generosity is pure and undefiled. He gives with holy motives. Now, when we're going to talk about motives today, because that's the focus of today's podcast, we're going to get into understanding how our motives must line up with God's Word. I've entitled this podcast, Motives for God's Generosity. So let me read something to you that I've written out. Don't generally do this, but I've written something out today that I'd like to make this statement for you. Generosity must come from the heart, not from the pressure of others or from poor motives. The Word of God gives direction how to give with proper motives and not to give so others will see it. In Matthew 6, 4, in the New Living Translation, it says this, Give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. You know, isn't that enough reward to know that God is going to bless us and that He's happy with our actions? So you see, because our motives for giving will determine whether we are generous because of what is in it for me, or whether we're generous because it's what's in it for others. When a young man is generous in saying sweet and kind and loving words to a young lady, his motives may be sincere or for personal desires. He may say things in order to get a physical response from the young woman. We should never be generous with motives to just do things that will bless us. I've written a book entitled Generosity, What's in It for Me? And I designed it that way to get people's attention that sometimes we're generous because we want something for ourselves. And yet, it's not always wrong to make a decision or do something wondering what's going to be in it for us. So please don't misunderstand that. It's not self-centered. It's not necessarily self-gratification. Let me give you an example. You go out and buy shoes because you want them to what? Feel good. That's something for us. You want them to look good. You want the price to be right. So those are things that are just fine. However, when it comes to giving of our finances to others or giving of our time to others or trying to bless the church or doing something for the church, our generosity must be pure. It must be proper. It must have the right motives. You know, the Word of God gets into that and tells us about our motives. And I'm going to read to you a scripture that applies very much to today's podcast. It's found in James chapter 4 and verse number 2 in the New Living Translation. Let me just read a couple of verses for you. You want what you don't have. 
so you scheme and kill to get it. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that we're killing people. It just simply means that you do whatever you have to do to get what you want. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And here's the part that's so important, verse 3. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. I think that points out a couple of things. One is that we don't have because we don't ask. That means we're supposed to pray. We're to seek God and ask Him to help us and bless us. And I, quite frankly, believe that's asking Him for His generosity. And that's something that we're supposed to do. But then it says, even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are wrong. You see, I believe what that's telling me is, is that the Lord will hold back His generosity from us if our motives are incorrect to receive it. Some people get blessed financially and they wind up turning themselves away from God. They stop going to church. They stop giving to the work of the Lord. They stop helping others and they just use their funds and their finances to have fun and to play and go to lakes and buy boats and all those things. Now, those things are fine. There, there's nothing wrong with those things unless they become a stumbling block and they become something, as this thing, thing here says, it says, you want only what will give you pleasure. You see, if, if that's our whole goal for generosity, then we're misunderstanding this teaching. We're misunderstanding the Word of God and we certainly are misunderstanding God's generosity. So with that, I'm going to to talk about the areas of our lives where motives can be a problem. You see, before I was a Christian, I struggled with having to give money to the church. I really thought it was kind of crazy. Like many others, I thought the only thing the church wanted from me was my checkbook, whatever cash I had in the bank. But soon after I accepted Jesus as my Lord, all things changed in my attitude towards giving and tithing to the church. You see, my heart was touched to give financially to the work of the Lord. My wife and I started to tithe. That's giving 10% of our income off the top and give to missionaries and people in our church who were in need. You see, if we were not able to give monetarily at the time, you know, the request came into the church, we would make a commitment to give at a later date. You see, because giving became something our family looked forward to doing. It's something I anticipated, something I wanted to do. And I believe the Lord showed me that if I was to have a giving heart and a generous heart, then he would be more and more generous to me in every area of my life. From reading the Word of God, I discovered that generosity must never hold a goal of personal gain. Just simply, I want to get more. That's, that's wrong. Generosity must be pure and never focused. We must never think about what can I get out of giving. Giving is not giving if a contingency is attached to it. God gave the life of his son for the forgiveness of our sins without any contingencies. Our God gave because of his love for us. He gave so we could receive eternal life. That reminds me of something in my life that took place when I served in the Republic of Vietnam. I was in the United States Army and when I was there, I would be out on the perimeter guard at night by myself many times, and I'd sit there, and I wasn't a Christian, and I'd be wondering, is someone going to come through these bushes and kill me? And I would think to myself, how in the world did I ever get here? What's going on in this place? So I'd get nervous and, and, and obviously a little afraid of what was happening, and I'd say something like, Lord, God, if you get me through this, I'll go to church. See, I wanted to, be, I wanted to give to the Lord, but I placed a contingency on it. I'll do this if you'll do that. That is what I call contingent generosity, to give if we can receive something in return. You see, that means we ask God for something and then give a reward to Him if He is good to us. Now, that's not the right attitude. And many times when I would pray that way, I'd say, God, if you'll get me through this, I'll go to church. Many times I didn't go to church. A few times I did. But bottom line, my motive was to be blessed and not to be a blessing. Now, when we think back to our childhood days, contingent generosity was very common for all of us. For instance, as a child, 
child, I had terrible eating habits. My mother would tell me if I eat the vegetables, I could have ice cream later. And if I clean my room, I could go out to play. I developed the idea that if I give, then I get. See, my mom had great intentions and she knew I needed to eat to healthy, but I took advantage of her to get what I wanted. So I believe as we kind of grow up to an adult, we risk carrying the concept of contingent generosity into our careers and our marriage and all of life. When I was generous, there must be something in it for me was my attitude. Going through life with a contingent attitude will rob us from understanding true generosity. Now living without a generous heart will restrict us from receiving so much of what life has to offer. When we give, we will receive as long as our motives are right and pure. Let me read you a scripture I think that applies to what we're dealing with today. It comes from the New Living Translation. It's found in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. Give and you will receive. Well, we all like that one. That's good. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more. That means God's going to bless us so much that we'll, it'll, it'll be compacted into our life, which will give us room to receive more blessings. It says running over and poured into your lap. The running over of our blessing means that we're, we're going to have so many blessings in our life. And I'm not just talking about money. We're going to have so many great blessings in our life from God's generosity that we'll be able to share it with other people. When it runs over, that means we don't just throw it away. That means we give it to someone else. We're blessed so that we can be a blessing. It says running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. So with that, let's let's talk a little bit more about understanding what that passage is saying. Let's, let's get into that a little bit. When You see, it says when God's word tells us to give and it shall be given to us, it's laying a foundation of God's plan to bless us. If we are not careful, though, we got to be careful, we will have the wrong motives about giving. If we read that scripture and think that when we give money, there will always be a big pot of gold, a bunch of money coming back to us, if that's how we think, we're going to probably be disappointed. However, we must believe that the Lord will bless us in our finances when we are faithful to Him. Now, personally, I believe that given it shall be given to you is how God shows us His desire to give everything to us and to bring forth His generosity. He always wants to bless us. He will always bless us in one way or another. Now, Let's apply this teaching to our marriage, maybe to our business, maybe to our career, whatever it might be. This, this is a lesson that we must learn for our marriage. There's nothing wrong with expecting something good to come out of your sacred union. As a matter of fact, we should expect good things to come forth when we enter matrimony. However, if we enter into marriage with nothing but thoughts of what's in it for me, we are going to be in trouble. A marriage must be built on what can I provide to the union. If both the husband and wife enter into marriage with a desire to give, then both the husband and wife will receive something wonderful. I believe that, you see, because I've seen it. I've counseled a lot of people, a lot of marriages, through biblical counseling over the years, and I have seen so many that are looking for something out of the marriage, and they, they'll make a statement like this, if she'll do that, then I'll be blessed, or if he'll do this, then I'll be blessed. See, what we need to do is get our life lined up in right relationship with God. If both the husband and wife have the right relationship with the Lord, then they will have the right relationship with each other. Now, let's continue. Our motives must be also be correct in starting our changing a career. When it comes to our careers, our employer pays us for a service we render, and usually they've determined what they believe is a fair wage, you know, to be performed for that task. That's what they do. When we accept that wage for a job that we're supposed to do, we must give 100% effort to that job. Giving anything less is expecting something for doing less than is required. Think about that. Now, if we approach a career with self-serving motives, 
it'll make for a miserable work condition, work experience. When we accept a position in a company, we agree to perform a service for a specific amount of compensation. Our motives must be to give our best to that company. Now let me discuss pastors. Since I was a pastor for 20 years, I understand a little bit about how pastors think. A pastor who is overseeing a congregation needs to constantly examine his motives. What is the reason they're pastoring? Why are they even doing it? Why are they spending time even becoming a pastor? Why are they devoted to this kind of work? You see, their motives must be to give their best in every way and to avoid thinking of what's in it for me. There's a statement that I believe is a vital one to all pastors about having the proper motives in overseeing a church congregation. It's something that I live by all the 20 years that I pastor the church, and I'm still an ordained minister, and I do pastoral activities a lot. But this statement is what carried me through 20 years of pastoring, and that is how I operated as a senior pastor. Here was the, here's the, the gist of what I felt was important. Whatever is best for the church is what is best for me. You see, sadly, some pastors operate under the premise that what's best for me is what's best for the church. Now, let's move on to maybe a businessman or someone who owns a business or is, is an entrepreneur of some type or another. Someone who owns a business must examine their motives as well. I mean, they're required just as much. One of the reasons to have a business is to make a profit. We understand that. I know that's important. We owned a business, my wife and I, for 17, 18 years, a home building company where we built custom homes and did land syndications. And it was a wonderful business, very profitable, but there's nothing wrong with us making a profit. And there's nothing wrong with a business having an attitude of making a profit. That's a good motive. There's nothing wrong with it. You see, because without a profit, the business will fail and none of those working at that business will have a job. However, operating a business with only one goal of profit making is going to weaken the strength and the integrity of that organization. A business that underpays employees or takes advantage of them has the wrong motives and will eventually fail. Now, during the years that my wife and I owned a real estate development company, you know, I always believed that a good business transaction must be good for both sides. That means both sides should win. When we sold a new home to someone, I was never bothered that that person sold the home a year or so later and made a bigger profit than I did. You know, when I sold it, sometimes I'd see that person years later and they would tell me how much the price of their home had increased. My response was always to tell them how happy I was for their wise investment. You see, when you think about it, what good would it do me to be envious of the profit? that they made. As a home builder, I tried to avoid thinking only about what was best for me. Our desire was to provide a home that would be a blessing to our buyer. You see, because of that attitude, I believe the Lord blessed our successful business. Now, let me move on with this. Our motives in giving will determine the size of the blessing we will receive. Being motivated by what's in it for me robs us of being a blessing to someone else. Contingent generosity restricts the Lord's desire to bless us. That means I'll bless someone if I get something out of it. When God gave his son for the forgiveness of our sins, he did not place any restrictions or contingencies on that blessing to us. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote about giving in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't be reluctant in your giving or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. So let's take a look at the two issues in that passage of scripture. First, some may ask, how can we be cheerful when it comes to giving our hard-earned money? Those same individuals may struggle with the thought of giving 10% of their income every month to their church. We must be willing to give in order to understand the context of the passage. Once we have the desire to give, we can begin to understand cheerful giving. The second part of that passage deals with others putting pressure on us to give. No one likes to 
feel pressure from someone else to give money. We must not pressure others to give either. Now, have you ever been pressured by a salesperson to buy something? I'm sure you have. We all have. That's one of the most common types of pressure we will usually experience. One example of high-pressure sales, I recall, is when we were considering the purchase of a timeshare. Today, timeshare promotions are everywhere. We get calls weekly from timeshare companies offering free nights, provided we listen to their promotion and their sales pitch on all the good things that are in it for me if I buy their timeshare. My wife and I had previously attended a couple of those sales sessions. Without a doubt, it's the most pressure we've ever experienced in deciding whether to purchase something or not. In every case, that pressure caused us not to make the purchase. I became so irritated in the middle of all that pressure, I had decided part way through it, I wasn't going to do anything because this was a setup. I never liked it and always thought I didn't ever want to go back again. A few years ago, my wife and I went to Cancun, Mexico for a week due to a timeshare promotion. We agreed to the 90-minute sales meeting. They said that we would have to attend when we were there. It was really a, a wonderful thing, the, the fact that we were going to spend an entire week at an all-inclusive, that means all your meals, everything was included, beautiful resort, really wonderful. And I think we had to pay like $99 or something to get there. But we had to listen to their timeshare you know, promotion. Now, at first, we agreed to that, that meeting and the time went quickly. But however, the salesperson kept pressuring us. She brought in her manager. Then he brought in the office manager. We said no to all of them. Then they brought in the general sales manager. Again, we said no. And that we were not interested in signing on. All of a sudden, they all became angry with us. All these kind, smiling, happy people turned on us. We were in that room for three and a half hours hours. For a moment, I kind of felt like we were about to be held hostage. Finally, I said enough is enough and we walked out. Now, maybe I should mention that the timeshare started out costing, I had no idea it was going to be this price, $98,000 plus annual fees. And by the end of all the pressure, it was down to $17,000. So I felt pressured. I felt set up. Because of that experience, we will never attend another so-called 90-minute timeshare sales meeting. Now, the reason I brought that up and I took a little time on it was that that's the kind of pressure we experience sometimes. We experience pressure in buying a car or buying a house or working on some kind of a purchase, making a a decision, and there's just pressure and pressure and pressure. The Bible tells us to avoid giving any of our funds when we're under that type of pressure. So I think that's good advice. You see, our God is never going to put pressure on us for that. There's nowhere in the Bible where it it says you must give or else you can't go to heaven. It doesn't say anything like you got to give now and if you don't give by a certain time, you're, you're doomed for eternity in hell. That isn't in the Word of God. It's not there. But many times we start to feel pressure on people who want us to give to them. But when we read a word to God, when we read the Bible and we understand what giving's all about, we, we read things like what I just read about in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, where it says, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. That means no pressure. That's awesome. That's the kind of giving that I like. And you see, God rewards those who are generous. God rewards those who are willing to give from what they have. Remember, this whole teaching is not just wrapped up in money. It has everything to do with generosity, with everything that we have, our time, our talent, our abilities, those things where we've been blessed to the Lord, we can give like counseling or help to other people. So if you don't have the finances to give the way you think that you should give, then start to give from what you have. If you have a little bit of talent, then give it. If you have a little bit of money, then give some of it. If you have a little bit of mentoring experience or a way that you can help others, then give what you have to someone else. And when you give what you have, it's going to come back to us, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and it says, with room 
room for more. That's amazing, and that's the generosity of our God. Now, while pastoring our church for 20 years, I needed to ask our congregation to give in order to pay for the cost of operating our church. You know, the utilities always cost. The property had maintenance and upkeep. It cost money to buy it, to build the facility, to improve it, to put nice chairs in, to put air conditioning in. Sometimes people don't realize when the, you're asked for to give to the church financially, they're sitting in a nice place. They've used the bathroom that they enjoyed having it there. They got a cup of coffee, maybe at the little coffee shop that was there. They sat in a comfortable chair. They listened to good music. They set in air conditioning. And if you're in Arizona, you'll understand what I'm talking about when it comes to air conditioning. But they really enjoyed what was going on. Then all of a sudden, the pastor wanted to ask them for some funds. And all of a sudden, they became offended or upset. Usually, people like that don't understand that the church is not there just to take money from their pocket. It's there to provide for the needs of the church and then have an abundance of funds where they can reach out and bless others. Matter of fact, I feel so strong about that. Let me just explain to you what I believe the purpose of the church is when it comes to generosity. I believe when the people in the church are generous with their finances and they bless the work of the Lord and bless the church, that the church will have an abundance of funds and will have money left over that they can reach out and help people. I believe that Jesus intended for the church to take care of the financial needs of its congregation. I believe he intended for the church to take care of the care needs for the elderly people and for those who are sick and those that needed hospital care. See, I believe that if the church did that and they gave from what they have generously, the church would never have to have any government intervention in paying for its bills and things. The church wouldn't have to reach out for the government to assist them in any way, shape, or form. So I believe it's a responsibility of every believer to bless the work of the Lord in their church. Now, when we went into a building program, let me talk about when I was a pastor again. When we went into a building program, we would meet with small groups to explain our vision and our needs. And whenever we requested financial support from our church, I would end with the words found in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. You must each decide in your heart how to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. You see, I use that scripture again because I want us all to be cheerful givers because I think the key one of the keys to receiving God's generosity is for us to be a cheerful giver. God is a cheerful giver. God loves to bless his people. He rejoices in, in giving to his people. When he created man and woman in the Garden of Eden, and he looked at it and he said, this is good. He was pleased. He was blessed to see that he had created this beautiful garden and for these two people to live there and have communi communion with each other, having a relationship with each other, and having a relationship with him. He created them so that he would have that type of relationship. And that's the God that we serve. Now, in getting back to my church, if our members said that they felt any pressure at all, I'd ask them not to give. I basically would. I would say, God wants you to be happy about it. If they could not give cheerfully, I suggested they would withhold back from any type of giving whatsoever. Because cheerful giving is a wonderful experience. Conversely, pressure giving is filled with fear, anger, and reluctance. So if, you're, if you don't think that you're being blessed enough from the Lord and you're not getting the generosity of the Lord, you might want to examine your own attitude towards giving your own desire about giving, how you whether you feel it's something you're pressured with or whether it's something that you want to do cheerfully. Most people I know, the vast majority of people I know, want to give to the work of the Lord, not only financially, but of their talents and their abilities, and they want to help in some way or another. We are the only ones who know our motives for giving. Whenever we give, we must avoid thinking of what's in it for me. I got to encourage you that, but don't forget, 
What's in it for me is not always bad, but when it comes to giving money to see what you're going to get back, it's bad. It's not good, and I don't believe you're going to be blessed with that type of thinking. Giving with a desire to help someone else without placing a contingency on the gift will bring forth a blessing to all of us. That's when we can claim God's promise, for when we give, it shall be given to us. So with that, I'm just going to close with a couple of questions. Let me, let me ask you just a couple of questions that has to deal with what we talked about today. And just a quick review, and then I'll close this, this session up. We need to give with proper motives. So how do you determine your motives are correct? You might want to write down a couple things and, and say to yourself, well, how do I know that my, my motives are correct? The second thing I want to leave you with is give cheerfully. What causes you not to give cheerfully? Make a couple notes of it and identify that and try to correct that in your life. Another thing to leave you with is give without a contingency. We need to list how you avoid contingent generosity. Don't put conditions like I did when I was in Vietnam, sitting on the perimeter, wondering how I was going to get shot at. Oh God, if you'll get me through this, I'll do this or I'll do that. It's if you do this, God, then I'll do that. That's not the proper attitude and God won't bless that. Another thing that we you should take out of this is give our best at work. So how do you keep the proper motives at work? And finally, motives determine the blessings. How do you keep from thinking of only what's in it for me? So with that, I hope that you've enjoyed this teaching today and I pray that it's been a blessing to you. So I want to leave you with one scripture that's very important to the understanding of proper motives, understanding how to receive God's generosity, and how to understand the proper use of finances. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 in the New Living Translation. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, craving money, that means wrong motives, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. You see, if our motives are wrong, it leads to many sorrows. If our motives are right and pleasing to God, then we're rewarded with the true gifts of God, the generosity that God has prepared for all of us who love Him and serve Him and have the right motives in our life. So let me pray as we close this up. Lord, thank you once again for this opportunity. I pray you would bless those who listened in today. Lord, it's, it's a little heavy topic, a subject that sometimes it's difficult for people to understand. But Lord, I know the Holy Spirit will break it down to each and every one of us, Lord, to understand exactly what we're to receive from today's teaching. Thank you for it. I pray blessings would be upon those who've heard this and those, Father God, who will hear it in the future. For I ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope this once again has been a blessing to you. I've certainly enjoyed teaching this particular topic and I'm looking forward as we continue in our series on God's generosity, what's in it for me. If you would like to get additional teaching and information on these subjects, you can go to my webpage at davidcfriendauthor.com. When you get to that webpage, you'll see references to a number of books that I've written. I'll, I'll comment on a couple of them right now. One of them is entitled Experience the Joy of Debt-Free Living. It's a book designed to help you get out of debt quickly and help you to find a way to stay out of debt. In addition to that, I've written a book there on faith entitled Receive Everything from What We Call Nothing. It's based upon the premise of calling forth those things that are not as though that they are. Believing for things that didn't happen to come back to life. It's also a message on resurrection power. The kind of power that God had when he helped Abraham and Sarah have a child and they believed there was not a chance in the world, but God brought something from nothing. In addition to that, there's a book there that I based this teaching on, and it's entitled Generosity, What's in It for Me? It's a teaching, I think, that will help us understand how to be blessed financially, how to be blessed in all areas of our life, and I hope it'll be a blessing to you. 
If you would like, you can subscribe to my podcasts on cpnshows.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Now let me sign off by saying, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and give you peace. May you prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. I'd like to ask you to tune in to our next podcast, which is entitled Generosity. It's not all about the money. We're going to tackle the subject of money and the discussion that people have about it. I've got friends who they just live for one thing, and that's to be become richer and richer financially. They're, some are Christians and some are not, and some are obsessed with becoming wealthier and wealthier each day, yet they feel that when they get that money, they want to keep it and hold on to it and not share it with anyone else. It's something that is sad, but it's an issue we need to talk about. We're also going to talk about why we might lack in our finances and how we can receive a financial blessing. So once again, I believe that it's going to be a lesson that will help you, and I know that God will be in it, and I know he'll help me prepare it as we get into it next week. Thank you for tuning in today. So until next time, may God richly bless you.